Today on Blue 58, the Packers beat their old rivals and took the all-time lead for wins in the NFL. Larger stories about the season aside, it's hard not to love taking another one off the Bears. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. Before we dive into today's discussion, I want to hear what you have to say about the game. Just a reminder that you can click the link in the episode description here and send your thoughts to us via SpeakPipe. It is easy and you get to be a part of Blue 58 and I want to hear your voice. So click that link, let us know what you thought of this win and we'll feature you in an upcoming episode. What happened today? It's a weird thing to say this season, but the Packers outlasted a team, and that team just happened to be the Chicago Bears. It's been a while since the Packers have really just relied on their depth, their talent, and their execution to get a win. But that's what happened today. The Packers looked like a deeper team. The Packers looked like a better team. And the Packers look like a team that just had things more together. Now, there are caveats to each of those three things, too. The Packers did look like a deeper team, but that's probably just because they were the less injured of two very injured teams. Yes, they looked like a better team, but that's only because the Bears spent the second half almost exclusively getting in their own way on offense and defense. And yes, they looked like a team that had things more together. But again, they're winning that by default this week because the Bears kind of self-destructed in the second half. Two interceptions and a blocked field goal, that'll, that'll about ruin anybody's day. Throw in a fumble in the first half that ends another possession, you're already down four possessions there. That's a tough game to win if you're the Chicago Bears. But on the Packers' side... It's still a win, and that's been pretty rare this year. Just the fifth time in 13 tries. I'm not sure if this game is really more a reflection on the Packers or on their Bears, but the Packers got the win. They got that win by getting plays from their guys who needed to contribute them when the Packers needed to have them most. A.J. Dillon showed up in a big way when Aaron Jones was hurting. Aaron Rodgers did just enough. Christian Watson was around whenever you needed him and provided the biggest of big plays. A touchdown on a fourth down and a long touchdown with the Packers were trying to put things away in the second half. Jair Alexander had a rough start, but a strong end. And Adrian Amos coming downhill with a couple really nice tackles. Throw Kenny Clark in there too. In the first half, he blew up a couple plays He looked a little bit more lively than we've seen of him from the past month and a half or so. Of course, this wasn't a perfect game, and we've mentioned that a couple times here already. Aaron Rodgers, in particular, was not perfect. We had a couple of missed throws. He looked looked sore. He looked like he was a guy who had hurt ribs. I'm not sure what painkiller he was on. He might have needed something stronger than ibuprofen the day, but there were a couple throws that he missed that looked like throws that a guy with sore ribs probably would have missed. The one that comes to mind off the top of my head is a check down in the flat on the left side of Randall Cobb. He sailed it just completely over Cobb's head. Not that it's that hard because Cobb is like five and a half feet tall, but there was no chance Cobb could catch that ball. And it just looked like Rodgers was not in a physical place where he could make that throw. Also, it was super windy in this game. 
and I think the wind was a factor in some of the deep passing today. This was also, though, a game where you couldn't help but throw deep because the Bears were so bad in the secondary, and the refs were really letting them play out there today. There was a lot of contact and a few deep balls for the Packers. They had a couple. They had back-to-back calls on a scoring drive for the Packers, but that was really about it. Pretty lightly officiated game, which you know I never mind seeing. But the Packers were trying to go deep. Chicago responded by getting whatever hands they could on receivers, and that'll happen. But the deep passing game was not there. Part of that was Rodgers' fault, too. The defense, don't get me started. Definitely, well, partially better in the second half, but Fields still finished the day with just four incomplete passes. Two of them were picks. He did plenty of damage running, too. And yet, here we are with the Packers' win. As we said in the lead-up to this game, it was not necessarily the optimal situation. Since the Packers aren't necessarily hoping to pile up wins at this point, they are going to keep doing things basically this way until they're mathematically eliminated. But if you have to get a win that you don't necessarily want, I'll take this one. Beating the Bears is always good. Beating the Bears to take over the league's all-time lead in wins, that's pretty good too. Sweeping the Bears on the season... I'll take that every time. And going into a bye week with a win. A bonus on top of all of it. An expression comes to mind thinking about this game. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Supposedly, I don't know, you can tell a horse's age by looking at its teeth. At least if you know what you're looking for. If I looked at a horse's teeth, I would be able to tell you whether or not it has teeth. And then I would probably rather stop looking at that because I don't know if you've ever seen a horse with its mouth open. It's kind of terrifying. Anyway, the saying is getting at the fact that if someone gives you a free horse, don't bother checking. Because if you're in a situation where you need horses, you're better off with the free horse no matter what the age it is. Don't find out the bad stuff if you don't have to. Apply that saying to the Packers situation. Did the Packers improve their draft position today? No, they did not. Did the Packers get a look at Jordan Love? No, they did not. But they got the win. And a win over the Bears is good. And a win over the Bears with all of those other things attached to it, that's even better. And that's the gift horse. Yep, if you're looking at the, the Tankapalooza standings or the evaluation of Jordan Love going forward, it's not what you wanted. I get that. But if I got to beat somebody in a win that I don't necessarily want to have, I'll take a win over the Bears. Let's talk about three good things from this win. First and foremost, Christian Watson. Just a rare threat with the ball. With and without the ball, it seems at this point, because they were talking all game long about how the defense is constantly aware of where Christian Watson is. Not that it apparently does you any good, because he could just run away from me anyway. The Packers have had a lot of good offensive players in my lifetime. Just off the top of my head, we can go back to Robert Brooks and Antonio Freeman and Dorsey Levins and Edgar Bennett and Amon Green. Throw Bill Schrader in there, too, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, Javon Walker for a season or two there. Jordy Nelson, James Jones, Randall Cobb, Devontae Adams. All of these guys dangerous in their own ways. And I'm leaving a bunch of guys out, too. Ryan Grant. There, there's one who had more than his share of big plays, uh, Eddie Lacy. Y- you get it. I don't know if there's been another one who's as frightening as Watson 
it feels like any time he touches the ball, it could be a score. And Amon Green feels like the only other player that comes to mind that was as close to that kind of threat. The Packers have been taking pains to put him in situations to maximize that speed. If you pay close attention to where he's lined up in the Packers formation, he's been number three in their trips formations a lot. So they got three receivers to one side. You count from the outside in one, two, three. He is that third guy on the inside. That is where Marquez Valdez-Scantling was a lot of times, and that's a great way to get some advantageous matchups for a really, really fast player. If they go man, chances are they have to really rework a lot of their secondary to make sure they've got a defensive back on him, because if they don't, he's going to barbecue a linebacker. If they go zone, he's probably going to have a free release through the middle of your defense. And either way, that is something that is working to the Packers' advantage and specifically working to Christian Watson's advantage. He is becoming not just a a threat, but a real receiver in real time in front of our eyes. And it's been a a lot of fun to watch over the last month or so. A.J. Dillon steps up big for the Packers today. 18 carries, 93 yards, and a touchdown. Three catches, 28 yards. Big, big game for A.J. Dillon. With Aaron Jones down, the Packers needed somebody to help uh, help keep the offense humming along. And he did that. And outside of the Titans game in 2020, I think that this was his best game as a member of the Green Bay Packers. 18 carries, ties his third highest um, output there in, in terms of, well, in terms of just raw carries. Well over 100 yards, uh, all-purpose yards on the ground. Just consistent, consistent yardage. A couple of explosive carries in the ground game. He had a great day today. And the Packers needed that um, in a big way with Aaron Jones banged up a little bit. And finally, I want to conclude the big, the, the good thing segment by talking about Jair Alexander. Because yes, he gave up the big play to Equinemius St. Brown. Yes, he gave up the big play to Nikhil Harry. But he also sniffed out two screens, two tackles for loss there. He made a great play on the interception. And I think overall, he was a net positive for the Packers defense. My suspicion is that the big play to Nikhil Harry was the, was, excuse me, the Bears breaking tendency because Jair Alexander got beat on a double move there or an out and up, not necessarily a double move, but he got beat biting on the short route and he was biting on the short stuff all day. Twice it resulted in tackles for loss. One of those times was nearly an interception as well. I think the Bears were probably just breaking tendency a little bit there going deep with Nikhil Harry, who's not known for like explosive deep speed. Just they caught the Packers looking there. They caught Jair Alexander looking in particular, but, um, Overall, I, I'd like him gambling a little bit. I know it seems like headhunting or, you know, stuffing his own box score. The Packers could use a little bit more of that, quite honestly, because their defense this year has been far too passive. And the trade-off of not being passive is giving up a couple of big plays. The St. Brown big play, okay, not ideal, sure. But I don't necessarily mind Jair Alexander trying to make a play for the Packers. And that, I think, is what was happening on the Harry play. And, you know, if the Bears stick with their tendency and go with a quick out there, it's six points the other way for Jair. So you got to take with the, the good with the bad sometimes. I know he's got a big contract and you expect a certain level of performance from him. I get it. I understand. I think it was still a net positive day from Alexander for the Packers. And I think you will you will accept some of those big plays coming your way if he is making big plays on the other end too. And he did that for the Packers too. 
I mean, two tackles for loss and an interception is still a pretty good day at the office, even with those two um, two big completions as well. I think it was was a net positive day for Alexander and the Packers. On the flip side, the overall defense, not great. In some of the specifics, I think the defense was pretty good. They do end up holding the the Bears um, scoreless, their, their last two drives, ending those drives with interceptions, sure. But in the aggregate, I think the defense is pretty bad. It's hard to give the Packers' defense a ton of credit for the Bears really just messing things up because they seem to be moving the ball pretty well outside of those interceptions and, I guess, the fumbles, too, by Claypool. Fields ran a lot, could have gone for more. It just kind of stopped in the second half, and it didn't seem to be from anything the Packers really did. They were going with the the handoffs on the zone reads a little bit more often, which I guess you could say is something the Packers are doing, but given how successful Fields was, it it I'm not sure why they would start trying to give it a little bit more inside. Maybe the Packers are just really overcommitting uh, to stopping him on the outside. Who knows? But it feels like they left some opportunities on the table there. The, the Bears did in, in running with Fields. Still had a very accurate day as a passer. Just the four incompletions. Yes, two of them were intercepted, but the Packers were not doing a whole lot other than those two interceptions to really slow down Fields in the passing game. And really, they just got very little pressure on Fields, which is something that he has allowed to happen a lot this year. He's one of the most sacked quarterbacks in football. The Packers, you wouldn't know that from what the Packers were doing to him because they couldn't get after him today at all, no matter what they were doing. They had a couple pressures, um, just kind of fluky sorts of things, but it was nothing regular. And I think it shows one thing that they're really missing Rashawn Gary, but shows another in that Joe Barry is not particularly creative with finding ways to get pressure on a guy who allows himself to be pressured a lot by doing things that would spring guys other than Rashawn Gary. Yes, Rashawn is the Packers' best pass rusher and probably their best defensive player, but those other guys are getting paid too. They're professional football players for a reason. Figure out something that you can do with the other warm bodies that you got on the field. You can't just pack it in and say, well, Gary's gone. What do we do now? Somebody figure something out. No, you figure something out. That is that is your job, figuring things out. The only other real big negative here, other than some offensive inconsistency that I think had more to do with uh, David Bakhtiari being out and Aaron Jones getting banged up, was the kickoff return situation. Now, Keyshawn Nixon must have a green light on every single return because he was taking them out pretty deep, and I'm not sure that's a good idea. Because the Packers got possession off a kickoff five times in the Bears game. Here's where they took over on those possessions. Their own 18 to open the game. Their own er, own 30. Their own 25 off a touchback. Their own 20 and their own 18. Now, a touchback gets you to the 25 every single time. So, adding up and subtracting, I guess, the yards above or below the 25... It looks like Keyshawn Nixon's returns cost the Packers 14 yards of net field position. That is not ideal for an offense that really struggles to move the ball. Seems like we're we're nitpicking a little bit there, but it is the sort of thing that you should watch, I think, on a week-to-week basis and something we should probably chart a little bit. Where were the Packers in net kick return yards on the on the game? Today, they were minus 14. What does it mean? What does this game mean? 
I wish I had something for you here? Because I don't really know. It means that technically the Packers are not mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, but the playoffs are still a very distant dream. The Vikings won, but didn't clinch the NFC North yet, but the Packers aren't catching them anyway, so don't worry about that. It's not like the Packers are going to make up that much ground, I would think. The playoff odds, the Packers' playoff odds, are all the way up to 4% now, still less than 1 in 20. In terms of the big picture, I don't think this game means a whole lot other than that the Packers are not finally eliminated from the playoffs yet. However, it does mean that the Packers are not finally eliminated from the playoff yet, which, if you are inside Lambeau Field, means that you get to keep doing things the way that you've been doing them. If you're outside Lambeau Field, it means that you, if you just want to see Aaron Rodgers play, you get to see him probably after the bye week. If you're hoping for more Jordan Love, you're probably going to be waiting a little bit longer. What comes next for the Packers? Well, next up is a bye for the Packers. Now, in theory, this is where they would have been getting ready for a real run to the playoffs. Now it's time off and more waiting because there's a bunch of the Packers season that is out of the Packers' hands now. I wouldn't be surprised if over the bye week we did get some contract news. There was uh, some movement for the Packers this week um, saying that, well, not saying, they restructured Dean Lowry's deal to free up like a million and a half dollars in cap space. I think that means one of two things. One, they're going to try to extend somebody. And if you're looking at likely extensions, that's probably Elton Jenkins or Rashawn Gary. Or they're going to put a, put a bunch of guys in injured reserve and they need the cap space to bring in replacements. I'm hoping it's the former because that's more interesting. Whether or not it's the latter, well, if they'd lost today, it would almost, I think, have, uh, certainly have been that because I don't think they're in a rush necessarily to extend either Jenkins or Gary. But we're kind of in wait-and-see mode. The Packers apparently need some decisions made for them. Rookie watch. How'd the draft class do today? Quay Walker leads things off, three tackles, four assists. Having a fairly quiet game isn't necessarily bad. Didn't make any plays on the ball or on the opposite line of the side of the line of scrimmage. He did have that nice chase down on Justin Fields, which is not nothing because Fields is about as fast as they come uh, for quarterbacks. Devontae Wyatt finishes with just one tackle. Made a pretty nice play on that tackle, though very close to being a tackle for loss. Showing up in the run game is a sure way for Devontae Wyatt to get more more plays. Uh, Christian Watson, what else do we need to say? He is that guy. This is the third time in Packers history that a player has had seven or more receiving touchdowns in a season along with two or more rushing touchdowns. The only other two are Johnny Blood and Don Hudson both proud members of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And incidentally, both known for their incredible speed as well. Elsewhere in the draft class, Sean Ryan is still suspended. Romeo Dobbs is still hurt. Zach Tom got the start at left tackle today with David Bakhtiari out for his appendix situation. And man, is this the unluckiest guy in the world? It kind of seems that way. Did he make some sort of Faustian bargain for that big contract back in 2020? Did he wish on some kind of monkey's paw? Did he make a deal with the some sort of archfey or something like that that is granting him great financial success in exchange for his body literally falling apart on a weekly basis? Man. But we got to see Zach Tom. 
And I didn't really notice Zach Tom, so that is a good thing, I would think. Uh, J.J. Nigbari, quiet day for J.J. One tackle, one assist. Nobody really got to fields on the day, so I'm not really going to count that against Enigbari all that much. But uh, after a few strong weeks, it was um, a bit of a down week for Enigbari. Uh, he got suckered real bad on the read option touchdown by Justin Fields. Dove hard after the 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 running back fake there. I don't know the exact terminology, what that's supposed to be, but you, you ride the running back there, and then if the defensive end commits or edge player commits, you pull it and run. Well, J.J. committed pretty hard, and that left a big gaping hole for Justin Fields to run through, and run through it he did. Now, Keyshawn Nixon still should have made the tackle, but it would have been a lot easier to string that play out if uh, Inigbari didn't go so hard after the fake. Tariq Carpenter had one assist tackle on special teams. Jonathan Ford was inactive. Rashid Walker was inactive. And Samori Ture rounds out the rookie report with one catch for seven yards. He was also the outside receiver in the trips formation on Watson's fourth down touchdown catch. Did not see the ball come his way on that particular play, but it seems to have worked out fairly well for the Packers that he did not. Other thoughts and observations before we let you get on with your Victory Monday. Let's start, as we always do, with the uniform breakdown. Packers looking good on the road. I give this three and a half out of four. It's about, much like last week, about as good as their road uniforms can look. Natural grass is always going to be awesome. A December game at Soldier Field always tends to to look pretty good on the Packers. I don't have any complaints here. The Bears... I give the Bears a four out of four here. This is the best Bears look by far for me, blue over white. I always forget how much I like their number font until I see it again. Just nice looking uniforms. Classic, blue and orange looks good. The white looks good. A two out of two on the matchup, giving us a total score of nine and a half out of ten. Just as a curiosity, and I'd be interested to see what what anybody else thinks about this, I would be interested to see what a, a green versus blue matchup looks like with the Packers and Bears here. Packers in their green, Bears in their blue. That could be a lot of fun. NFL has done some color versus color matchups. It was the specific color rush thing a few years back. But I would like to see a situation where the Packers can wear their traditional home uniforms against the Bears' traditional home uniforms. Surely we can make that happen, can't we? Also in the sphere of uh, uniform stuff, I noticed a weird thing about the Packers' socks a couple weeks back, and now I have completely lost my mind. So, well, I guess it was just last week, Christian Watson scores on the big play against the Eagles. He had his the white part of his socks pulled up so high over his green tights or undergarment or whatever that you almost couldn't see the green at all. And I actually spent quite a bit of time trying to figure out if he had any green on at all. He does. And you can see a little bit more of it today. But that caused me to look at what other guys are doing with their sock situation in a little bit more detail. The defensive backs are doing all kinds of weird sock stuff on the Packers. Rasul Douglas, today, definitively not wearing any green at all. Just all white below the knee. Tariq Carpenter, very high whites, almost like Christian Watson. Jair Alexander and Keyshawn Nixon both do it even stranger. Both of them have white on top and green at the bottom, like inverted socks scheme. I'm not sure what that's all about, but it's interesting. On the other end of the spectrum, Randall Cobb is almost entirely solid green below the knee. Almost no white showing at all. And I can hear you saying, John, who cares? Why do you care? And you know what? 
you are absolutely correct. I am a broken man. My brain is broken. I'm thinking about the wrong things. Luke Getze appeared to call a timeout for the Bears from the sideline. I looked this up because I thought it was weird when it happened, but he is not supposed to be able to do that. But I wonder if they give some leeway now to guys who are calling plays because not all head coaches call plays. To be clear, this is not a big deal, but I just was interested in it, so I looked it up. Here is what the rule says about who can call timeouts in the NFL. From Section 5 of the official NFL rulebook, timeouts. Article 1, charge team timeouts. The referee shall suspend play while the ball is dead and declare a charge team timeout upon the request for a timeout by the head coach or any player, not a substitute, to any official. If an assistant coach signals for a timeout and it is inadvertently granted, the timeout will stand. So, to recap, Luke Getze is not supposed to be able to call a timeout for the Bears, but he did. The refs grant it. It's not a big deal. But by rule, he's not supposed to be able to do that. I was just interested in the procedure. I'm not saying the Bears got away with anything here. I was just curious. Christian Watson is going to get a bunch of headlines for the Packers. Obviously, he should. Had a tremendous game. He's a tremendous player. Al Lazard, though, also had a very good game, too, I thought. Five catches for 67 yards. I had him down for at least two explosive plays. It may have been more. Just his old, reliable self and constantly moving the chains for the Packers. It was kind of lost in the overall game story, but there was a pretty bad blown call in the second half that could have really cost the Packers. And I wonder if uh, we'll get any kind of explanation on this or if the, the Packers will, will take any steps towards getting this reviewed by the NFL. But the Packers, on their first drive of the second half, uh, ran A.J. Dillon up the middle on second and three, and he tripped. But then he got up and ran for the first out before he was taken down. The play, however, was blown dead, and the ref said he was down when he tripped initially. On third down, the Packers go deep. Questionable decision. They didn't get it, and they ended up hunting. But A.J. Dillon was very clearly not down on that second down run. And Aaron Rodgers got really mad at the sideline about apparently that they didn't challenge the play, but I'm not sure they could have challenged it anyway because the refs blew that play dead so quickly. But where is the eye in the sky there for the Packers on that one? We've seen a couple times over the past couple of weeks where there's a play, where there's some discussion. Is it close? Is it not? Whatever. And suddenly the refs come back out on the field and, and reverse things, presumably because they got some extra input from uh, either the replay official or from the, the NFL Central, whatever, officiating video review place. Why didn't that happen in this situation? Was an easy play to get right. You've got the video evidence. It seemed pretty clear. Was it just because the refs blew things dead so quickly? I would I would hope that that wouldn't be the case, but I suspect it probably was. Um, small bright spot on the Packers' defense. Justin Hollins had another nice little pressure on... Justin Fields. Nice little move. Ended up with him forcing Fields out to the out, out of the pocket to his left. Quay Walker ends up chasing him down. Nice little play. He has had, I think, more impact on the Packers pass rush over the past two weeks than a guy like Jonathan Garvin has all year. Back on the offensive side of the ball on A.J. Dillon's touchdown run, Sammy Watkins had a key block on the outside on the left side. And I think this is lost in his overall bad season, but that was a key part of why the Packers wanted Sammy Watkins. He has always been a very good run-blocking wide receiver. 
and he was blocking quite well on that run by A.J. Dillon, and it was a big part of why he scored on that play. We'll conclude by talking about a couple career milestones here. Keyshawn Nixon gets the interception. That was actually the first interception of his career. Jair Alexander gets an interception too. He is now up to four on the season. That is a career high for Mr. Alexander. Well done there. And Aaron Jones has now broken the 5,000-yard mark in terms of rushing yards for his career. Not too shabby, especially in a day where he did not uh, play overly much. He now sits at at 5,010 yards for his career. He needs just 15 yards to pass John Brockington for third in Packers history. And now he'll probably get a chance to do that when the Packers take the field against the Los Angeles Rams after the bye. Not too bad for a fifth-round pick. Again, is it what is necessarily best for the Packers for them to be winning these games? With the odds so long of them making the playoffs, I would say probably not. And yet, this is all supposed to be for fun. You and I are supposed to have fun when we're watching the Packers. And you know what's fun for me? Watching the Packers win football games. I know it's not as good for the team as optimizing your draft position and things like that. But you know what's not fun to watch? Optimizing your draft position. Trying to figure out a way to get the best theoretical draft pick for your team. Yes, I know that's part of, you know, getting a good team in the future. I get all that. I understand it. I've run the numbers. I've done the math. I understand what a win does for your draft positioning. But it's more fun to beat the Bears than think about that kind of stuff. And there are so many other variables that go into who gets picked where and all those sorts of things. That Who are you really missing out on anyway? The Packers aren't going to be picking first overall. They're not going to get the the super-duper ultra-premium draft pick. If it's the difference between picking ninth and picking 12th, so be it. Let's go out and beat the Bears. And that's what the Packers did today. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it as well. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.